0: This is number six, and is entitled, Christ the Advocate. In our study number four of Daniel 8, 14, we discovered some amazing facts concerning a prophecy that covered some 2,300 years of this world's history. Let me read it. Daniel 8, verse 14, And the angel said unto me, unto two thousand and three hundred days then shall the sanctuary be cleansed this great time prophecy was divided into two sections the first section covered 490 years the second a period of some one thousand eight hundred and ten years let's review the dates involved in this prophecy. But first, the first point to remember is the Bible rule pertaining to many of the prophecies that a day stands for a year, as you read in Ezekiel 4.6. Now, the beginning date of this prophecy was 457 years before Christ. The first section contained 70 weeks, or 490 years, and it ended in A.D. 34. But there is still a remaining 1,810 years of this prophecy, which brings us to the fall of 1844 A.D., Now the prophet wrote of this exact date, let me read it again, Daniel 8, 14, And the angel said unto me, Unto two thousand three hundred days, then shall the sanctuary be cleansed. Now before we can understand what is meant by the words, Then the sanctuary shall be cleansed, we must understand what sanctuary we are talking about. For you will recall that there are two mentioned in the Bible. One in the time of Moses and on through until Christ. And then we have one that is now in heaven. The author in Hebrews wrote, Hebrews 9.1, Then verily the first covenant, had also ordinances of divine service and a worldly sanctuary. Now the time covered by this old covenant was from Moses to the cross. But Paul reminds us that there was a worldly sanctuary right here on this earth. And then he goes on to describe it in the next four verses. I read... For there was a tabernacle made, the first wherein was the candlestick, and the table, and the showbread, which is called the sanctuary, and after the second veil, the tabernacle, which is called the holiest of holy, which had the golden censer and the ark of the covenant overlaid round about with gold. Wherein was the golden pot that had manna and Aaron's rod that was budded and the tables of the covenant, and over it the cherubims of glory shadowing the mercy seat. Now, no one can mistake what Paul is talking about, for he is describing the earthly sanctuary or tabernacle that was erected in the wilderness. For you notice he referred to such articles that were found therein such as the golden pot that had manna and Aaron's rod that budded. Now this tabernacle service continued until the day when Solomon built a temple and it then continued on in the temple until it was destroyed by Nebuchadnezzar, which was rebuilt in the days of Zechariah the prophet. And this was the sanctuary of the first covenant that was standing in the day when Christ was here on earth. Remember, this tabernacle had two apartments, or shall we call them rooms? The first was called the Holy Place and the second was called the Most Holy Place or the Holy of Holies. Now in the first room there were three articles of furniture the golden candlestick, the table of showbread, and the altar of incense. The golden candlestick was fashioned out of one piece of gold and was made into a beautiful seven-branch candlestick, each perfectly symmetrical. A flower and a bowl were at the top of each branch. Every morning and every evening, the priest would enter the first apartment and fill the bowls with olive oil, for the candlesticks provided the only light that was available since there were no windows. Next, there was the table of showbread. It was overlaid with pure gold, and it was, on it were two stacks of bread. Every Sabbath day, the priest took 12 loaves of bread, hot from the oven, one to represent each of the 12 tribes of Israel. This was called the showbread. And was arranged in two stacks on the table. It was called the showbread because it was constantly before the very presence of the Lord. The altar in this first room was called the altar of incense because the priest burned incense on it every morning and every evening when he entered the apartment. The incense gave off a delightful perfume representing the righteousness of Jesus Christ and making sweet the prayers of God's people that were sent up in faith to the throne of God. Now, beyond the veil in the second room was the holy of holies or the most holy place. There was only one article of furniture in this innermost apartment. That was the Ark of the Covenant. This chest was overlaid with pure gold, on which rested two beautiful angel cherubims. Their wings were outstretched, meeting exactly over the mercy seat. Now the mercy seat was so named because it was here, that forgiveness for breaking the Ten Commandment law was granted to the repentant sinner through God's mercy. Now on the Day of Atonement, the blood was sprinkled on the mercy seat, and in the ark you would find the two precious tables of stone upon which was written the Ten Commandments. Outside the tabernacle was the court in which there were two articles of furniture, a brazen altar upon which was offered the sacrifices and a washbasin or a laver at which the priest would wash their hands and feet before they entered into the sanctuary. Now you will recall that the priest went into the first apartment every day of the year. There they trimmed the wicks, filled the bowls with olive oil, and on the Sabbath day they took away the old loaves and brought in fresh loaves. There was only one day of the year in which the high priest could go beyond the veil that separated the first from the second apartment. On the Day of Atonement, he could enter into the second apartment for the purpose of cleansing it. But before we discuss the cleansing, let me recall to your attention the fact that every article connected with this sanctuary pointed to the Lord Jesus Christ as our Redeemer. For the entire sanctuary service is a symbolism of Christ's priestly ministry. Christ was represented in every sacrifice. You remember what John said of Jesus? Behold the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sin of the world. And then there was the golden candlestick. It pointed to Christ as the light of the world. John 8, 20, Jesus said, I am the light of the world. And then there was the showbread, which pointed to Jesus Christ, for he was the true bread of life, on which we can feed and live forever. John six thirty five, Jesus said, I am the bread of life. And he that cometh to me shall never hunger. Well, we could go on. The altar of incense, it pointed to Christ our Redeemer, pleading our case before God. The mercy seat represented Christ, who gives us pardon through the merits of his blood. And there was the altar of burnt offering which pointed to Jesus Christ as the Lamb of God who died for us. And the labor it pointed to Christ as the one who washes and makes us fit to appear before the very presence of our great God. When Jesus hung on the cross at 3 p.m that Friday afternoon which was a high day of the Passover you remember he cried it is finished immediately the veil in the temple was rent from top to bottom which was to show that the services of God in the earthly sanctuary were now ended forever so what is, the sacri- what is the scripture talking about when it says that the sanctuary was to be, clean, clear, was to be cleansed in 1844? This is 1,810 years after the earthly sanctuary. It cannot be the sanctuary of this world, for you remember it was destroyed in A.D. 70 by the Roman army. Yet, this text says the sanctuary is to be cleansed in 1844. Let's give some careful consideration to what Paul has to say about this in Hebrews 9.1. I am reading, Verily the first covenant had also ordinances of divine service and a worldly sanctuary. Did you notice that word also? It emphasizes that the new covenant under which we are now living has a sanctuary. And where is this sanctuary? Hebrews 8, 1 and 2. Now the things which we have spoken, this is the sum. We have such an high priest who is set on the right hand of the throne of the majesty in the heavens a minister of the sanctuary and of the true tabernacle which the Lord pitched and not man. You see this sanctuary that is to be cleansed is the sanctuary that is in heaven. Now keep your ears open for this new covenant has a sanctuary. Moses pitched the earthly sanctuary but God God himself established the original in heaven. The worldly sanctuary was for the first covenant. The heavenly sanctuary is concerned with the new or the everlasting covenant. In other words, the new covenant took the place of the old covenant. When it was established by the blood of Christ... On Calvary's cross. This heavenly sanctuary then took the place of the earthly sanctuary. The earthly priests administered in the earthly sanctuary until Christ was crucified, but when the Lamb of God offered his life once and for all, then Jesus entered into heaven to administer his blood for us in the heavenly sanctuary as our high priest. The earthly sanctuary, of course, was a true copy of the heavenly. You remember what the Lord told Moses? He said, be careful. Make it just like the pattern that I have shown thee. Paul reviews this in Hebrews the ninth chapter, verse 23, he says, It was therefore necessary that the pattern of things in heaven should be purified with these, but the heavenly things themselves with a better sacrifices than these. So you see, the heavenly sanctuary also had two apartments that correspond to the two apartments in the earthly sanctuary. In each sanctuary is found the most holy place in which was placed the Ark containing the Ten Commandments. The scriptures speak of this Ark as the Ark of the Covenant or Testament. John speaks about this for he saw this in heaven, in the heavenly sanctuary. Revelations, the 11th chapter, verse 19. And the temple of God was open in heaven, and there was seen in his temple the ark of his testament. Friend, it is true that the ark of the covenant is up there in heaven, right now as I am talking. And the great original law of the eternal God is in it. You know, some people talk about the Ten Commandments being done away with. But the truth is that they are binding as long as the Ark of the Covenant is in the heavenly sanctuary. You could no more do away with the Ten Commandments Then, if it were possible, for you to go and get into heaven, fight your way past the angels of God, hurl Jesus Christ from the throne, brush aside the mercy seat, reach down and take out the original Ten Commandments, and this would be utterly impossible. For you see, God's throne... Covers his law. The priests under the Old Covenant performed their ministry in relationship to the Ten Commandments. So Jesus Christ our High Priest now in heaven under the New Covenant performs his ministry in relation to these same Ten Commandments the original law of God. Let me read it. Hebrews 8, verse 8 to 10. I read, Behold, the days come, saith the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah, not according to the covenant that I made with their fathers in the day when I took them by the hand, to lead them out of the land of Egypt because they continued not in my covenant and I regarded them not, saith the Lord. Now notice, for this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, saith the Lord. I will put my laws into their mind and I will write them in their hearts I will be to them a God, and they shall be to me a people. What is God saying? He says that under the new covenant, he is going to take away sin out of our hearts, and he says, I will give you a new heart and write my law in your heart. You'll notice God did not say, I will abolish my covenant, and give you a new law, and neither did he say, I will give you grace to supersede the Ten Commandments. What God is really trying to tell us is that because of his grace, he will write his law in our hearts and bring our lives into conformity to his precepts. Isn't that simple? Perhaps I should say, isn't that beautiful to think that God will do this for us? Now in our study of Leviticus, the fourth chapter, we found that when a man sinned, he had to bring a sacrifice such as a lamb. Remember, when we use the term sin, we mean that this man had transgressed one of the Ten Commandments. Such a man had to bring a lamb to the door of the tabernacle, and there, in the presence of the priest, he was to place his hands upon the head of this innocent animal and to confess his sin, thus transferring his sin to that lamb. Then, he had to take a knife and slay the sacrifice, for the broken law always demands the death penalty. Next, the priest caught the blood in a basin. Then he took it inside the tabernacle and before the veil sprinkled some of the blood upon the veil. Why? You remember, the blood of the lamb, substitute, now carries the sins of this man. Thus, the man's sins have been separated from the, man, from the man, and they are now placed within the sanctuary. Here, then, we see the gospel made simple. The sanctuary service was like a kindergarten system in which God explained how a man could be separated from his sins. Let's meditate a moment longer upon this. Here is the lamb without blemish, representing the Son of God, who takes away the sins of the world. This lamb dies in man's place, because the man has transgressed one of the Ten Commandments found within the ark. And the law of God demands the life of the sinner. As you read in 1 John 3, 4, sin is the transgression of the law. And in Romans six twenty three it says, the wages of sin is death. So the law says that this man must die for his sin, but the Lord in his great mercy has provided a way of escape so that the man may bring a lamb to die in his place. This man is allowed in figure to transfer his sin by personal confession on the head of the innocent lamb. Thus, When Jesus Christ was slain as the Lamb, it satisfies the claims of the law. Just as the Lamb died in man's place in ancient Israel, so Jesus Christ, the Lamb of God, died in our place. This is what it means in Isaiah 53, 6. The Lord hath laid on him the iniquity of us all. Thus, sin was transferred to the Lamb whose life was in the blood and the blood bearing the sin was sprinkled before the veil of the sanctuary. This is how the sin got into the sanctuary separated from the man. Now you can easily see that through a year's time there would be a multitude of sins that had gathered in the sanctuary and this is what made it necessary to cleanse the sanctuary or blot out those sins and take them out of the sanctuary as described in Leviticus chapter 16. And so it was that there was a day known as the Day of Atonement in which the sanctuary was cleansed. On that day, two goats of the same age were brought before the high priest. He would cast lots. One was chosen to be sacrificed and would be killed and its blood would be taken within the sanctuary and sprinkled on the mercy seat to satisfy the claims of the law. In order to do this, you will notice that the priest must go within the veil into the most holy place, and this could be done only once a year. In performing this act, he would figuratively, gather up all the sins that had been forgiven and take them with him out of the sanctuary and place his hands upon the scapegoat, transferring all of these sins to the scapegoat, which would then be taken out into the wilderness to die. In this manner, all sins were removed from the sanctuary and we could say, the sanctuary was now cleansed. All that transpired in the earthly sanctuary was a type, a pattern, or a shadow of the work of Christ in the heavenly sanctuary. Just as the priest brought the blood into the sanctuary, so Christ, with his own blood, pleads for us before the Father in heaven. First John 2.1 My little children, these things I write unto you, that ye sin not. And if any man sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. What we need to do now is to fully understand the work of Jesus as our personal advocate in heaven during the atonement, the Day of Atonement. Very few Christians have any concept of the wonderful message of the sanctuary in which the Lord is our intercessor, our mediator, and our advocate think of it if we will accept Christ as our advocate he will personally plead his blood for each of us it's almost too good to be true our brother in heaven as an advocate standing before God pleading For you and for me. This is what happens when we confess our sins to the Lord. He rises up before the Father in heaven, holding up those nail-pierced hands, saying, Father, my blood, my blood, I have shed my blood for these dear ones. By the merits of my sacrifice on Calvary, I now plead that you accept my sinless life for these sinful lives. I think the poet has given this picture in beautiful words. Father, I bring this worthless child to thee to claim thy pardon once yet again. Receive him at my hands, for he is mine. He is a worthless child, for he owns his guilt. But look not on him, he cannot bear thy glance. Look thou on me, his vileness I will hide. He pleads not for himself, he dares not plead. His cause is mine, I am his advocate. By that unchanged, unchanging oath of mine, by each pure drop of blood I lost for him, by all the sorrows graven on my soul, by every wound I bear, I claim it due, father, Father divine, I cannot have him lost. He is a worthless soul, but he is mine. Sin hath destroyed him, but sin hath died in me. Death hath pursued him, but I have conquered death. Satan hath bound him, but Satan is my slave, my father. Hear not him. Not him, but me. I would not have him lost for all the world. Thou for my glory hath ordained and made. What a beautiful picture. As the poet has described it. How thankful we should be for such an advocate as we have in Jesus Christ, who is before the throne of God now, pleading our case. This is why it tells us in Hebrews 7.25, Christ is able also to save them to the uttermost, that come unto God by him, seeing that he ever liveth, to make intercession for them. And so the great truth of this hour is this. If we will do the coming, Christ is able. Oh, there is no question about the all-sufficiency of the Son of God. He is able to save all who come unto him. But we must do the coming and he will do the saving. From 34 A.D. until 1844, Christ ministered for us within the first apartment of the sanctuary according to the terms of the new covenant. But in 1844, Christ entered within the veil just as the priest in the earthly sanctuary did on the Day of Atonement to start the cleansing of the sanctuary. This is why we read in Daniel eight fourteen, 14 unto two thousand and three hundred days then shall the sanctuary be cleansed. So it is in 1844 Christ our high priest left the first apartment and entered the second apartment of the heavenly sanctuary to finish his mediatorial work, to become our advocate for you and for me. And one of these days, one of these days, so very soon, Jesus is going to finish the cleansing work and he will throw down his censer as the great high priest and he will say, as we read in Revelations twenty two eleven, He that is unjust, let him be unjust still. And he which is filthy, let him be filthy still. And he that is righteous, let him be righteous still. And he that is holy, let him be holy still. Behold, I come quickly. Blessed is he that keepeth the sayings of the prophecy of this book. When that decree is issued, there will be no more appeal by our advocate. For Christ has now been in this second apartment for some 111 years from 1844. This is the number of years that Christ has now been officiating in the cleansing work of the sanctuary in heaven. Soon, oh so soon, he is going to return, as it says in scripture, without sin, unto salvation. Please permit me to illustrate the importance of having an advocate. There was an accountant employed in the capital city of Russia many years ago. He knew that the auditors were coming and that they would discover that he was bankrupt. You see, he had used the money for his own purpose. And this could mean only one thing, his life would be taken. As he brooded over his fatal mistake, he drew up a list of all the debts that he owed, and he wrote at the bottom of that list the question, who is going to pay for all of these debts? In the turmoil of his mind, he fell asleep at the desk. Now it so happened that Alexander I, the Tsar of Russia, was making a tour of that very building in which this man was asleep at his desk. As he entered this accountant's office, he saw that the man was sleeping. He went over to the desk. He saw there was a paper and he picked it up and he read it. He saw the list of the this man's debts and when he read the question who is going to pay all of this debt he was suddenly seized with a good impulse he took out his golden pen and he wrote these words I Alexander can you imagine the thrill of this man when he awoke He knew his master's signature. He had seen it every day. And he knew that his master would pay. He had been saved from death. And this is exactly what Christ is doing for us today. What a terrible list of sins are on the books of heaven. If you and I were to look at our own sins and our records, We would feel just like those men whose sins Christ wrote in the sand. We would be in despair, but thank God. Jesus Christ says, I can blot out your sins. Thank God our advocate is sufficient. Just now he stands ready to wash away your sins and blot them out forever. Friend, we need to put ourselves into the hands, in the hands of Jesus Christ. Let me say that again, friend, we need to put ourselves into the hands of Jesus Christ, our great advocate. As we close this study with prayer, How many of you would like to commit yourself to Christ with me this day? I know some of you are struggling with sins and you may be discouraged, but you need not fear. Remember what Paul said? Let us come boldly to the throne of grace. This moment, Jesus is standing before God the Father and he is ready to forgive you and me and to make us fully whole. Will you not with me put our case fully into the hands of Jesus and receive him as a personal Savior, our advocate? Let us pray. Heavenly Father, As we have found the description in the word of God of the sanctuary in heaven where you are now the advocate of every true believer, we pray God that your son will lift his hands just now and that the blood of Christ may cover every sin And God, may they be blotted out as the sanctuary is being cleansed, that we may truly reveal thy character within our lives. Bless us, Lord, that we may live each moment ready for that day when the cleansing work will be finished forever. Amen. Yes, Christ is the answer. He is the only answer. And this is the title of our next subject. Be sure to listen to it. It will be lesson number seven. And God bless each of you. Remember, keep the faith.